Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. From the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Thursday, August 18th, 2022. Coming up this hour. The U.S. and Taiwan begin formal trade negotiations in a blow to China. Stocks pull back as the Fed considers the pace of rate hikes. Apple sets a target date for its next iPhone release. And a hearing today to determine whether to unseal the FBI's Mar-a-Lago affidavit. The war of words continues between New York Mayor Adams and Texas Governor Abbott. Plus, the CDC wants to hit the reset button. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer in sports. Dramatic win for the Yankees. They beat the Rays on a 10th inning grand slam. The Mets held on to win in Atlanta. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business App. Good morning. I'm John Tucker. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are little changed to lower this morning. We are coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down about three and a half points. Dow futures down 24, and NASDAQ futures down 17. Ten-year Treasury up 532 seconds, yield 2.87 percent, and the yield on the two-year 3.27 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up 1.3 percent at $89.27 a barrel. John. Yeah, as you mentioned, Karen, uh, U.S. futures aren't lower this morning after the first down day for stocks in nearly a week. Still, minutes from the Fed helped boost sentiment as traders found some dovish elements from the central bank's July meeting. Lauren Gilbert, CEO of Wealthwise Financial, says there's uncertainty, but still a chance for solid returns. Information technology services, we see that as an opportunity because unlike goods that have had the pricing pressures with good prices continue to go up, while you have wage pressure as well in services, you don't have the cost of goods issue. Lauren Gilbert with Wealthwise says technical indicators show markets could sustain a bull run in the months ahead. When it comes to the Fed minutes, John, Wall Street focused on central bank officials discussing the need to eventually dial back the pace of interest rate hikes. Eric Lund, principal economist with the conference board, says the important takeaway is that the Fed will remain data dependent in its approach. We all kind of figured they're going to at some point have to dial back the pace of the increases. It's a matter at what rate and when. So with uh, the next meeting a little over a month off, we still have uh, quite a bit of data points that are going to be coming out uh, between now and then that we're going to have to watch. 
Eric Lund with the conference board says if inflation continues to fall, the Fed will be well positioned to ease rate hikes. And Karen will also be watching for more economic data today. At 8.30 Wall Street time, the Labor Department releases the latest figures on jobless claims. Economists predict a new high for the year with claims rising to 264,000. We're also going to get existing home sales for the month of July. The National Association of Realtors releases those figures at 10. While turning overseas now, John, stocks in Asia fell overnight as further downgrades to China's growth outlook soured sentiment. Bloomberg's Juliet Sally joins us from Singapore with the latest. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, John and Karen. Goldman Sachs lowered its projection for China's GDP to 3% from 3.3%, citing weaker-than-expected July economic data as well as near-term energy constraints. Nomura slashed their forecast to 2.8 from 3.3%. The Bloomberg median forecast from economists is now at 3.9%. Stocks fell in Japan, China and Hong Kong, and the Aussie was lower for a fourth session after almost 41,000 jobs were lost in the nation last month versus expectations of a 25,000 job gain. In Singapore, Juliet Sali, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, thanks, Juliet. Tensions with China remain front and center. The U.S. and Taiwan are set to start formal negotiations on a bilateral trade agreement. Let's get more from Bloomberg's Ed Baxter. This is the next step in what has become a very heated and very sensitive issue for China. The statement says the two have already started formal negotiations, but the first sit-down round will begin in early fall. They say it will cover trade facilitation, regulatory practices, anti-corruption standards, and deepening agriculture trade, among others. The statement says it will promote innovation and will deepen the relationship. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ed, thank you. We turn to corporate news now, where news from Apple is front and center. The company is aiming to unveil its new iPhone next month. And Bloomberg's Renita Young joins us live with the details. Renita, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Bloomberg sources say Apple's big reveal of the iPhone 14 is expected to come on September 7th. The flagship product generates more than half of Apple's sales. And the update comes at a time when smartphone sales more broadly have started to slump as consumers cope with inflation and a shaky economy. The launch kicks off a busy fall product season for the tech giant, which will include multiple new Macs, low-end and high-end iPads, and three Apple Watch models. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Renita, thanks. Sticking with corporate news, Walmart, CVS, and Walgreens all getting hit with a big fine. The pharmacy chains were ordered to pay a total of $650 million over failure to properly monitor opioid prescriptions in Ohio. It's the drug industry's latest setback in litigation over the painkillers. Well, on the earnings front, John, Cisco Systems came out with results that beat estimates. Shares are up 4.5% in early trading after the company gave a bullish forecast. And we get more from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Cisco is the biggest maker of machines that run the Internet and corporate computer networks. It said revenue will grow 2 to 4% in the fiscal first quarter from a year earlier. Analysts had predicted that sales would be roughly flat from a year ago when revenue was $12.9 billion. For fiscal 2023, the company expects sales to expand as much as 6%. The outlook suggests Cisco can weather a shaky economy and tech spending slowdown helped by better access to to supply. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, thanks, Charlie. Bed Bath & Beyond, another stock on the move this morning. The shares right now in the pre-market down over 12% as a big investor sours on the stock. Ryan Cohen's RC Ventures says in a filing that it might sell as much as 7.7 million shares of Bed Bath & Beyond. RC, the retailer's second largest shareholder after BlackRock. 
Well, on the flip side, John, shares of Bluebird Bio are up about 11% in early trading. The company's gene therapy for a rare blood disorder was cleared by U.S. regulators. Bluebird said it plans to charge $2.8 million for the first-ever one-time treatment. And coming up today, more earnings on the docket this morning. Retail in focus once again. We're going to get results from BJ's Coles and Estee Lauder. Right now, Dow Futures up two points. This is Bloomberg. As 5.07 on Wall Street, time to bring in Michael Barr with more with what else is going on in New York and around the world. John, thank you very much. The war of words continues between New York Mayor Eric Adams and Texas Governor Greg Abbott. What the Texas governor is doing is just so anti-American. Mayor Adams says four more busloads of migrants who had crossed the border into Texas arrived in New York City yesterday. Abbott says he has been sending migrants to New York and Washington, D.C. to ease pressure on the state, blaming the Biden administration for the crisis. Mayor Adams said Governor Abbott is using the migrants as political pawns to strike out against Democratic-run cities. Those buses are leaving Texas and passing through other states and other cities. How about speaking to those mayors across uh, those cities and other governors? And state, how do we do this together? Governor Abbott responded to Adams, calling him a hypocrite. Why he's ever complaining for one moment about these people being bussed into a city goes against his own self-declaration of being a sanctuary city. Governor Abbott and Mayor Adams appeared on ABC's Nightline. Donald Trump's CFO is expected to plead guilty today to tax violations in a deal that would require him to testify about business practices at the former president's company. Alan Weisselberg is charged with taking more than $1.7 million in untaxed compensation from the Trump organization. Rudy Giuliani says he has satisfied his obligation after facing hours of questioning before a special grand jury in Atlanta. His appearance was part of an investigation into attempts by former President Donald Trump and others to overturn his 2020 election defeat in Georgia. The CDC director is planning a major overhaul of the agency after an internal review acknowledged missteps in its response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who ordered the internal review, is calling for a reset. We were operating with a frail public health infrastructure nationally, and we made some pretty public mistakes, and we need to own them. Dr. Walensky says the agency review found the CDC's COVID guidelines on masks, vaccines, and more have been confusing and overwhelming, echoing public criticism. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. John. Michael, thank you. It's now 510 on Wall Street. That's time for the Bloomberg Sports Update, and good morning, John Stashauer. All right, good morning, John. Mets and Yankees had both lost the last two nights. Both teams last night had to sit through a rain delay. Both teams gave up seven runs and still won, and both debuted brand-new rookie third baseman for the Mets. It was 22-year-old Brett Beatty. He was their first-round draft pick in 2019. He's been tearing it up in the minors, and what a start to his big league career. 1-0 to Beatty. Hit high in the air to right field. Pretty deep. Back goes Acuna at the track, at the wall, and it is gone! Brett Beatty with his first major league swing hits a home run off the top of the 16-foot high wall in right field. He salutes his parents. 
On his way around third base, this kid is living the dream. WCBS to come. Mets also got two home runs from Starling Marte. They led Atlanta 6-1, to 9-5 to in the ninth inning. They held on, beat the Braves 9-7 to go back up by four and a half games. Jacob DeGrom pitches tonight. Yankees in that deep slump called up 23-year-old Oswaldo Cabrera. He went 0-4 in his first game. Certainly looked like the Yanks were going to lose yet again. They trailed Tampa Bay 4-0. They caught up. Home runs by Gleyber Torres and Anthony Rizzo, but fell behind again. The Rays led 7-4 to in the 10th inning. Josh Donaldson hit an opposite field walk-off grand slam, and the Yanks won in dramatic fashion, 8-7. to The Liberty opened up the WNBA playoffs, a 94-87 Game 1 win over the defending league champion Chicago. Liberty ended the game with a 13-0 run. Upcoming U.S. Open is going to be dominated at least early on by Serena Williams' last tournament. Her sister, Venus, has accepted a wild-card spot. She'll be playing, too. John Stash Howard, Bloomberg Sports. John? All right, John, thanks very much. Ahead of the cash open on Wall Street futures right now, kind of treading water. S&P E-mini futures down just a point. The Dow futures 10 points slower now, and the Nasdaq futures are down 9 points. The 10-year Treasury, 288. The 2-year yield right now, 328. You're listening to Bloomberg Tape Break. And Bloomberg weather from meteorologist Rob Carolyn for today, partly to mostly sunny High temperature about 85. Tonight clear, lows 70. Tomorrow, increasing afternoon clouds, highs 85 to 90 degrees. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. And U.S. stock index futures pairing losses in a volatile session after the Federal Reserve signaled a delicate balancing act that would see inflation-busting rate hikes continue despite a weakening economy. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. And right now, S&P, NASDAQ, and Dow futures are all little changed. The DAX in Germany is up four-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up three-thirty-seconds, yield 2.88 percent. Yield on the two-year, 3.28 percent. NYMEX crude oil is up one and a third percent, up a dollar nineteen at eighty-nine dollars thirty-three cents a barrel. COMEX gold up two-tenths percent, or three dollars ten cents at seventeen seventy-nine eighty an ounce. The euro one point zero one six three against the dollar. British pound one point two zero four nine, and the yen one thirty-five point three one. And Bitcoin is up two-tenths percent at twenty-three thousand four hundred. $60. Today we are watching for the weekly report on initial jobless claims at 8.30 Wall Street time that at 10 is existing home sales and leading indicators. MBJ's Wholesale Club and Kohl's are among companies scheduled to report earnings today. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Karen. A court is expected to decide today whether to make public the full affidavit used to justify the FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago. The Justice Department has objected to the affidavit's release, saying it would compromise the investigation. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky is calling for a reset of the agency after an internal review faulted the CDC's response to the COVID pandemic. She wants the agency to share information faster and in plain, easy-to-understand language. 
In baseball, the Yankees won with a dramatic grand slam against the Rays, 8-7 in 10 innings. The Mets beat the Braves 9-7. The Red Sox and A's won. The Nationals, Orioles, and Giants lost. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts, more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg John. Michael, thank you. It is 5.20 on Wall Street. We're live for the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. The U.S. and Taiwan will start formal talks on a trade and economic initiative. Let's take a deeper dive into this this morning with the Chief Asia Economics Correspondent with Bloomberg News and current. And is this something new or is it something that's been in the works for a while? Well, it's been in the works for a while. Um, it's often been held as a kind of a, a carrot by Washington that they could deepen economic ties with Taiwan. Obviously, Taiwan is very keen to deepen ties. They have been pushing for membership of the TPP. They've been building out what kind of trade agreements and alliances they can in the region in recent years. Uh, so, obviously, Taiwan's keen to push it. Washington uses it as a kind of a, a carrot uh, when it comes to the whole Beijing story. But um, how deep and how far it goes, I think, will depend on a number of factors, um, not least just U.S. and Taiwan-driven, but also in terms of just how robust China does respond to it. And their initial response to it today has been already been quite robust and quite aggressive, as you can imagine. Yeah, would this lead to, are we talking about a free trade agreement here between the U.S. and Taiwan? I don't think you would call it a full free trade agreement. It might be more of a, a trading pact, so to speak, in terms of where they can agree on areas of liberalizing trade and two-way flows between both economies. I think certainly it's in Taiwan's interest. They are looking to diversify. There's a lot of commentary at the moment that the semiconductor uh, industry is probably going to see something of a slowdown over coming months due to a cooling technology boom. That's a huge part of Taiwan's export sector, for example. So they're keen to certainly diversify and open their trading books where they can and, and win new market share. There's certainly an economic comparative there. On the U.S. side, it's, it's probably been driven more by perhaps political uh, rationale rather than anything else. We know the bipartisan approach, of course, to the U.S., in the U.S. when it comes to Taiwan policy. So we'll have to see ultimately how far it does go because obviously every trade agreement always bumps up against some stakeholder in some industry in some sector. So we'll have to see how, how broad-reaching and how deep it will ultimately be. How much does Taipei depend on Beijing uh, for in terms of its economics? Are they trying to reduce that and make up for it with the ties, the greater ties to the United States? Yeah, there is a bit of that. So, I mean, China is Taiwan's biggest trading partner. And uh, when Speaker Pelosi went there a few weeks ago, China responded by putting effectively a kind of an embargo or a boycott on imports of certain Taiwanese goods, for example, certain fruits, for instance. And they also put uh, restrictions on exports from China to Taiwan of certain goods. For example, one was fine sands that's used in the electronics industry. So, you know, Taiwan can, oh, sorry, China can obviously punish Taiwan economically to some extent. This has been a, a kind of a, uh, a play card of China over the years when they've fallen out with certain trading partners over a political issue. They've responded in kind over, you know, cutting back on trade orders, for example, in a, with Australia in recent years and with the Philippines and others. So Taiwan is vulnerable to that. And one of the talking points that came out, of course, of the aftermath of Speaker Pelosi's visit was that Taiwan does want to 
diversify its um, its its economic trading partners. It does want to look for new markets around the region. There's some talk that it could deepen ties with Japan, for example. Japan's trying to be seen as an ally for Taiwan in the region. So I think also, there's no doubt Taiwan does want to deepen its economic options. And obviously, when the potential for a trade negotiation with the U.S. comes up, they'll certainly jump at that with both arms. And the backdrop for uh, this news that the trade talks are going to kick off uh, between Taiwan and the United States comes with uh, Beijing in serious trouble uh, on the economic front, right? Yes, you would say that on a headline basis. And there's no doubt all of the sort of um, real-time uh, indicators are going against, are going in the wrong direction for China. And so the real estate sector remains in a slump. Uh, house prices and activity continue to go in the wrong direction there. So that's a big chunk of the economy, about 20% of the economy. Then this week we had a lot of high-frequency indicators on retail spending and on investment and on industrial output, etc. All of that was weaker than expected. We've also had a big outbreak of COVID-19 this week in, in Hainan Island, a kind of a tropical resort. That's raising fears of more lockdowns and that kind of cycle of ongoing aggressive restrictions, and then, of course, throw into the mix the, uh, you know, the U.S. tensions with the U.S., which don't bode well for um, animal spirits, shall we say, when it comes to dealing with China. So it's all adding downward pressure on the economy. We got a bit of news yeah. in, in response to how, how the authorities might respond. It looks like there'll be extra government spending coming over the months ahead. All right, Chief Asia Economics Correspondent and The Current with us this morning. Anna, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Just ahead of the cash open on Wall Street, Dow futures, they have been fluctuating down right now just 11 points. S&P E-mini futures unchanged, and the Nasdaq futures eight points lower. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Just ahead, your top headlines this morning. Partly to mostly sunny in New York today. Highs near 85. Tomorrow, morning sun, increasing afternoon clouds. Highs at 85 to 90 degrees. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130 to Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco. Bloomberg 960 to the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm John Tucker. And I'm Karen Moscow. We're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. U.S. futures are little changed this morning after the first down day for stocks in nearly a week. Markets are still digesting minutes from the latest Fed meeting. Lorreen Gilbert, CEO of WealthWise Financial, says there's uncertainty, but still a chance for solid returns. We do like small cap across the way, growth and value, because if you do believe that this is a bull market run, then we have the opportunity for small cap to continue to outpace. Lorraine Gilbert with WealthWise says technical indicators show markets could sustain a bull run in the months ahead. When it comes to the Fed minutes, Wall Street focused on central bank officials discussing the need to eventually dial back the pace of interest rate hikes, and traders will be watching for more economic data today. At 8.30 Wall Street time, the Labor Department releases the latest figures on jobless claims. We'll also get existing home sales for July at 10. 
Let me turn to corporate news now, John, where news from Apple is front and center. The company is aiming to unveil its new iPhone next month. And Bloomberg's Renita Young joins us live with the details. Renita, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Bloomberg sources say Apple's big reveal of the iPhone 14 is expected to come on September 7th. The flagship product generates more than half of Apple's sales, and the update comes at a time when smartphone sales more broadly have started to slump as consumers cope with inflation and a shaky economy. The launch kicks off a big, busy fall season for the tech giant, which will include multiple new Macs, low-end and high-end iPads, and three Apple Watch models. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Renita, thanks. And we're getting more earnings reports today that will give us a sense of consumer strength. We're going to hear from big box retailer BJ's, Kohl's, and then Estee Lauder. Well, not a geopolitics, John, where tensions with China remain front and center. The U.S. and Taiwan are set to start formal negotiations on a bilateral trade agreement. Bloomberg News correspondent Bruce Einhorn says talks are expected to start this fall. Where these go, I think it's a big question because on the one hand, there's really strong bipartisan support for Taiwan in the U.S. Congress. On the other hand, there's really not strong bipartisan support for any sort of trade deals in the U.S. Congress. What comes out of this remains to be seen. And Bloomberg's Bruce Einhorn says a bill in Congress that would upgrade U.S. relations with Taiwan could further inflame tensions. Futures again are little change this morning. Ten-year Treasury up 330 seconds, yield 2.88 percent. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. All right, thanks, Karen. 533 on Wall Street. Time to bring in Michael Barr with more on what else is going on in New York and around the world. John, thank you very much, sir. Four busloads of migrants who had crossed the border into Texas arrived in New York City yesterday. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been sending migrants to New York and Washington, D.C. to ease pressure on the state. New York Mayor Eric Adams says Governor Abbott is using the migrants as political pawns. Our team reached out to him when we first discovered uh, what he was doing, and we asked, let's coordinate, because crisis calls for coordination. Governor Abbott responded to Adams. When the mayor began complaining about just getting a small trickle of what Texas has to deal with all the time, I sent him a letter. And I invited him to come down to the border and see firsthand the chaos that exists in Texas. Governor Abbott and Mayor Adams appeared on ABC's Nightline. The head of the CDC acknowledged that her agency made mistakes in its response to COVID. Dr. Rochelle Walensky says it's time for an internal reorganization. She says it's a response to the notion that the agency is too focused on academic work and not nimble enough to respond to fast emerging diseases. We as an agency can and should move faster with our data. Dr. Walensky also says the agency needs to communicate better with the public. Former Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg is expected to plead guilty today in a New York City courtroom. According to the New York Times, as part of his plea deal, Weisselberg will admit to all 15 felonies he's accused of and may have to testify about his role in the scheme of the Trump Organization if he goes to trial. Former President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, testified for six hours before a special grand jury in Atlanta. Georgia prosecutors have told Giuliani that he is a target in their investigation into potential criminal meddling in the 2020 election. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts, more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, John. Michael, thank you. 
That's now 5.35 on Wall Street. That's time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's John Stanchower. Thanks, John. Only twice in Yankee history had they won a game on an extra inning grand slam when they were trailing by three runs. Jason Giambi did it. So did Babe Ruth. And it happened in 10th inning last night. In 0-1 to Donaldson. Swung on. Hit in the air to right. Toward the line. That ball is going to be gone. It's a grand slam. A walk-off grand slam to win the game. Josh Donaldson powered one down the right field line into the seats. It's a grand slam. The FAN, the call. Donaldson's eighth career walk-off homer, but first since 2015. And talk about a much-needed 8-7 to win. Yankees, of course, have been struggling mightily. They trailed Tampa Bay 4-0. And after rallying to tie, they trailed 7-4 in the 10th. Donaldson's been a disappointment this season. It's one reason why the Yanks... Just called up 23-year-old Oswaldo Cabrera. He played third base, went 0 for 4 in his debut. Donaldson was the DH. Yanks also called up Esteban Florial to play center field. So they had two guys in the lineup wearing jersey numbers 90 and 95. The Mets also just called up a new third baseman and 22-year-old Brett Beatty homered in Atlanta. The first time he swung the bat in the majors. Fifth Met to homer in his first at-bat. Mets went on to beat the Braves 9-7. to Two home runs for Starling Marte. Max Scherzer got the win. He's 9-2. And, and Jacob DeGrom goes tonight as the Mets try to get a split of the series. The NBA schedule unveiled. The Knicks open up October 19th in Memphis. The Nets will host New Orleans. WNBA playoffs. The Liberty won game one from Chicago. John Stash, our Bloomberg Sports. John? Hi, John. Thanks very much. 537 on Wall Street. And that means it's time for the Tri-State Business Report. And with that, here's Bloomberg's Ed Corey. New York City has denied every property damage claim related to Hurricane Ida. It says for over a century, courts have said municipalities across the state are not liable for damage from extraordinary and excessive rainfalls. Ida broke the record for the most rainfall in a single hour in city history. Genesis Chief Executive Officer Michael Morrow is stepping down. The move comes after the crypto brokerage was stung by exposure to bankrupt hedge fund Three Arrows Capital and a broad market downturn. The New York-based company is also eliminating 20% of its workforce. Amazon.com workers have filed a position to hold a union election at a company warehouse near Albany. The group is affiliated with the upstart Amazon Labor Union. It's asked the National Labor Relations Board for permission to hold a vote at the ALB1 facility, according to an NLRB spokesperson. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. It's 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in now with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. I'm Courtney Dunahoe on KTRH in Houston. Americans are driving more as gas prices come off record highs. I'm Lisa Mateo, and on WBZ in Boston, I'll be reporting on when you can expect to see the new iPhone. I'm Jeff Bollinger, and on WTBN in Columbus, I'm reporting that Columbus-based Bath & Body Works has cut its profit outlook and announced plans to cut about 130 jobs. I'm Joan Doniger telling WFLA listeners in Tampa, bank rate rates Florida the best state in which to retire. I'm Carolyn Hepke on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We've been reporting on the pressure on Manchester United's owners to sell a stake in the football club. I'm Ed Corey on WTAM in Cleveland. I'm reporting Northeast Ohio home sales slowed down in July. And it's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. 
This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. With just a few weeks left, the summer of 2022 has already breached some alarming milestones in the Northern Hemisphere. Globally, June and July of this year have ranked among the warmest months ever recorded. Unfortunately, such trends are likely to worsen due to climate change. So, how can the world prepare for the hotter summers ahead? The most important step is to keep up the fight against global warming, including by slashing emissions and boosting investment in green energy and related technologies. Measures to aid the poor should also be a priority. The least affluent tend to suffer the most from extreme heat. One can only hope that this summer's blistering heat will only underscore the urgency to act. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPIN Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. And Bloomberg Opinion editorials can be heard every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go. And as we look at futures ahead of the cash open on Wall Street, Dow futures right now, they're 10 points higher. S&P E-mini futures up two, and the Nasdaq futures are six points higher. This is Daybreak. Bloomberg weather for today from meteorologist Rob Carolyn. Partly mostly sunny, the high temperature 85. Tonight clear, low 70. And tomorrow morning sun, then increasing afternoon clouds, the high 85 to 90. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures pairing their losses. Now, little change in a volatile session after the Federal Reserve signaled a delicate balancing act that would see inflation busting rate hikes continue despite a weakening economy. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. And now futures are little change to higher. The DAX in Germany is up seven tenths of a percent and the 10 year Treasury is up three thirty seconds, yield two point eight eight percent. The yield on the two years at three point two eight percent. NYMEX screwed Oil is up 1% or 90 cents at $89.01 a barrel. COMEX gold up a quarter percent or $4.10 at 1780 an ounce. The euro 1.0164 against the dollar. British pound 1.2044 and the yen 135.30. And Bitcoin this morning's higher up four tenths percent at $23,500. That's a Bloomberg business flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. A group of media organizations urged a Florida judge to release most of an FBI affidavit that helped the Justice Department obtain a search warrant for former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort. The DOJ says the document must remain sealed to protect the investigation. The U.S. and Taiwan will start formal talks on a trade and economic initiative, following through on a long-planned promise to deepen ties amid opposition from China. In baseball, the Yankees won with a dramatic grand slam against the Rays, 8-7 in 10 innings. The Mets beat the Braves, 9-7. The Red Sox and A's won. The Nationals, Orioles, and Giants lost. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg John. Michael, thank you. We are live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, where it is 549 on Wall Street. Apple aiming to hold a launch event 
September 7th to unveil the iPhone 14 line of products. Let's take a deeper dive this morning. We're joined live now by Bloomberg Quick Take anchor Alex Webb. Do I really, really need an iPhone 14, Alex? Well, it really depends when you go. Does anybody iPhone. else? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, this idea that you need to refresh your iPhone every year has long since gone. That you even need to do every two years is long gone. I've got a three-year-old iPhone. I'm probably going to do it this year now. This is supposed to be a, a more sizable upgrade than was the 13, than was last year's. Um, usually, you would expect that to drive a big upswell in, in, in sales numbers. There was a great scoop that our colleagues Mark Gurman and um, uh, Debbie Wu had last week, which said that actually they expect production numbers to be flat year on year, uh, which clearly then suggests something about you know the, the economic climate and people's discretionary income in the context of you know, inflation. With the economic climate that we're talking about, with inflation, do we know what the pricing is going to be? Uh, we don't. That you know likely to be in the order of a thousand dollars for the uh for the base price for the top line model uh sometimes look, the way that apple tends to really make the margin on this stuff is on the memory right they will charge an extra hundred dollars uh for another sort of 124 gigabytes of memory the chip that actually underpins that memory probably costs them in the order of 20 there's a huge gross margin on the memory piece that is where you know if they offer larger memory options that's probably where we'll start to see the the average price per unit dragged upwards does anybody actually pay that up front or is it part of the package they get with their carrier um, a lot of people do just buy the iPhone straight from Apple because sometimes if you sometimes if you unpick the economics, it, is, it does work out cheaper in the long run just to buy it straight from the store. Um, particularly if you've got a, it depends on the contract you have, obviously in a different market. I personally just buy it from Apple. I get financing from Apple, which Apple also provides, and um, that's uh, you know, 0% financing, so it works out quite cost-effective for the consumer. But that has also been one of the problems in recent years for the carriers, that selling the phones was a nice little earner for them, but because Apple has its own financing, people have started to realize it's more cost-effective to go straight to source. Okay, let's talk about the other products. Well, first of all, what does the iPhone 14 have that I need at this point, and what about the other products as well? As ever, with um, the each new model of iPhone, it's going to have slightly better camera and uh, a, f a faster processor. The the styling is likely to be similar to the um, to the 13 uh, with the square edges um, and a few little bells and whistles that perhaps we don't yet know about. Uh, the they're going to likely eliminate the mini version of, of the handset uh, and add a model with a 6.7 inch screen which will be the first time Apple launches a non-so-called pro iPhone with a display of that size. The, the notch that appears on the front will change shape slightly. Um, it'll be a sort of pill, pill-shaped hole that's what sources are telling Mark Gurman, a pill-shaped hole and a hole punch size area for the camera so that probably is going to be in terms of form factor the biggest change. Hey, remind everybody how important iPhones are to, to Apple. They are, I mean, sig very significant part of their business, but not as big as they were before. Historically, it used to be um, about 
70 or well, two-thirds of their revenue fundamentally. Now it's about 50% of their revenue. They've managed to bring that down over the past six, seven years as they've not only boosted the, the, the share that they get from their services business, which, you know, that's things like the App Store, Apple Music, Apple TV+. Plus. That's now an almost $70 billion business. Um, but also what they would call the, the wearables home and accessories category has doubled in size over the past three years. That yeah. is your watch, your, your um, mm-hmm. AirPods, things like that. Alex, always a pleasure. Bloomberg Quick Take anchor Alex Webb. The uh, event launched September 7th, Karen. Thank you. It is 5.53 on Wall Street, and we turn to a legal story that we're watching this morning. One Texas school district is getting ready for the start of school in a unique way. It's removing 41 books from school library shelves, including titles like The Bluest Eye, Gender Queer, and the Bible. There's been a dramatic escalation in book spans and book challenges have more than doubled in a year, reaching the highest number since the American Library Association began keeping count in 2001. For more on the issue, Bloomberg's June Grosso speaks to Deborah Caldwell-Stone, director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom. The reasons for challenging books change over the years. Between 2000 and 2009, the Harry Potter series was frequently challenged because of allegedly promoting witchcraft and wizardry. What do the challenges now mainly focus on? What we've observed since 2015 is the majority of books challenged in schools and libraries. That's when someone demands that they be removed from the library shelf. Are books centering the lives and experiences of LGBTQIA persons. And this includes things like picture books that simply depict a family headed by a same-sex couple, ranging to young adult materials dealing with coming-of-age stories, romance, or nonfiction books dealing with sex education. The other trend that we're observing, and this is tied to the current campaign around critical race theory, is a real effort to remove books reflecting the experience of African Americans or reflecting a perspective on history by African Americans who challenge some of the traditional narratives about racism and U.S. history and their experience of slavery. I think we've reached a kind of consensus here in the United States. Books written for adults and intended for adult audiences rarely see challenges. It never really becomes an issue. The real dispute is about books that are available to young people. How would you describe the criteria for banning a book? Is it based mainly on obscenity? That's a framing that we're hearing from these advocacy groups, that any book touching on topics dealing with gender identity, sexual orientation, that provide information about changing bodies, human reproduction, sexuality, are inherently obscene for minors, which, of course, is an objection based on particular moral or religious beliefs. And that really should have no place in the decision-making about what books are available to young people in school. And certainly obscenity is the bottom line as far as determining what is not protected by the First Amendment in those terms. But the court has made it very clear that that's a very narrow category of materials that has no serious value, no educational value. You know, when library professionals, when educational professionals select books for school students, they're selecting them because they do have an educational value. And particularly for voluntary reading in the school library, these books may serve the needs of a particular subset of students 
and they're not required reading. And that's Deborah Caldwell-Stone, director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom, speaking with Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at BlawGo. Futures this morning are starting to add to their gains now. S&P Futures up about five points. Dow futures up 26 and NASDAQ futures up 17. So we've been seeing some improvement there. Ten-year Treasury up 430 seconds, yield 2.88%. The yield on the two-year, 3.28%. NYMEX crude oil is up one and a quarter percent, up a dollar ten at $89.21 a barrel. COMEX gold up a third of a percent or $5.90 at $17.82.60 an ounce. Still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And this is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.